everybody. Good to be here. Uh, that's not true, but uh, what you just heard is not true. And I, I did something that you might enjoy. I brought you a 1985 Envoy, actually two of these from the house. And Mr. McNair uh, is in this, so if you want to take a look, you see what he looked like back in the day. Uh, I thought you might have some fun with it. So I'll, I'll keep these around uh, if you guys want to take a look at these a little bit later. I do want to start by uh, actually giving you a short icebreaker. Most of you know who I am, and I know who most of you are. Uh, but I just want to let you know a little bit about who I am before I get into the message today. Uh, I was born in Minneapolis in 1963, so I just turned 56 in, in February. Uh, my family um, is a family of five kids. I'm the oldest, so in 63 I was born in, in Minneapolis, and three years later we moved to a farm in North Dakota. We took over my grandfather's farm. He had about 365 acres, and half of that was cattle, about 80 head of cattle, and, and the rest was uh, wheat farm. Uh, my dad raced cars every weekend in Minneapolis. He was a stock car racer. He also raced dragsters and uh, did some circle track racing and then drag bikes. So he's got, if you go to our basement at my mom's house, you'll see all these trophies, uh, fills a whole wall up of trophies. He had two world records in the early 60s racing so that was his thing uh, he had a good friend that lost two legs in an accident on the drag strip and that got him to rethink do I still want to do this because I was born at the time and mom was pregnant with yet another uh, baby my sister Nancy and so they decided you know what let's move let's go back to North Dakota where we came from uh, that's where mom grew up dad grew up 100 miles apart in North Dakota and so we moved back and farmed. And when I uh, moved back, like I say, it was three. We didn't have uh, electricity. We didn't have plumbing uh, in those days. So for the first two years that we lived on the farm, we lived like people did for a really long time in human history, right? Uh, without those luxuries, we had an outhouse. And North Dakota gets really cold in the winter. So uh, it was a challenging way to live. I remember ice being like two inches thick on the inside of the windows in, in our bedroom. So it was a different life than people experience today. I can't uh, tell you how wonderful it was to have electricity and plumbing when we finally got it. And then uh, we came into the church in late 1969. So uh, it was right after deer hunting season. I remember my dad was an avid hunter and Mr. Charles Bryce was the pastor up in Canada. The nearest congregation was 178 miles away. And my dad was called first, not my mom. And so we would go up to Mooseman, Saskatchewan for church, this little, you know, one-horse town. The first three times we went up, uh, we couldn't find the congregation. They had moved to a new hall each time, and we were a week behind them. And so we didn't have services uh, the first three times we drove up. And my dad was about to quit, give up on it, but he decided, let's give it one more go. And then we found uh, the congregation and stuck. And so every Sabbath, we drove 175 or 178 miles up, 178 miles back, winter, spring, fall, and summer, and went to our first Feast of Tabernacles in 1970. So I just seven when Mom and Dad were called. I've been 49 years in the Church of God. I uh, loved every minute of it, and the reason we moved to Saskatchewan and sold the family farm is that drive got really old after a while, uh, every weekend, and then my dad would go up for Spokesman's Club on Sunday, so he did that trip, you know, twice, 
And back then we had club every other week um, in about nine or ten months of the year. So it was a lot of driving in the old 54 Ford. And finally we sold the farm and moved to Regina, uh, Saskatchewan, which was the capital city of that province. And then I lived there till I was 18 uh, and left for Ambassador College in Pasadena. So some people thought when I went to Ambassador College I was a Canadian because I played hockey and I knew how to ski and, and do the winter sports. And I didn't know anything about basketball, right? Uh, that's something we didn't do. We played hockey and, and did other sports. And so uh, I went to Ambassador College when I was 18. I went back then at YOU, which is Youth Opportunities United, is the youth program for the Worldwide Church of God. Had uh, national track meets. They also had talent shows, uh, national talent shows, and people could get scholarships to go to college at those events. And so I went to Ambassador College on a track and field scholarship. I had um, competed throughout high school in track and field, and I had taken first in, in the province, it'd be like first in state in uh, the U.S., in pole vault twice, and in javelin uh, two years. The, two, the other two years I couldn't compete because of a Sabbath conflict, but the years that I could compete, um, I actually had a coach that was on the board of directors that coached track and field, and she moved some events so my junior, senior year I could compete at that level, and I ended up taking first in both of those events both years and uh, qualified for the, the summer games, the summer Olympics for uh, tryouts for Canada, but I couldn't go. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, so I stepped aside. Uh, when I was younger, when we first moved to Canada, I got into gymnastics. That was my thing. Um, and so I had excelled as a 12, 13, 14-year-old in gymnastics um, and again, had two invitations to Olympic tryouts for gymnastics. I had taken uh, first in the province my last year in four of six events. So men do all six events. I'd taken first in rings, parallel bars, um, what else, vaulting, and palma horse. I took second on floor X and third on high bar. So I, I meddled in everything, got the opportunity to be invited. Uh, the second year that that happened, uh, my coach dropped me because he was a former Olympic uh, athlete himself, and he said, if you're not going to go, I'm not putting more time into training you. And so that's why I got out of that and into other things. Um, but anyway, so sports were a big part of my life. I ended up going to Ambassador College on a YOU scholarship in track and field. And when I got there, they didn't have javelin or pole vault. So that was an interesting thing. Uh, that's what I got a scholarship for, and they didn't have those events at Ambassador College. But uh, I did run the 400 meter and, and some other things, so I still competed uh, in track and field at Ambassador. Ambassador College is one of the best things that ever happened to me. I treasure and value that four-year experience that I had. Um, I hope that you value the year you have here. I went there to learn the Bible. I went there to learn more about God's way of life, and I think that's probably why you're here. That's why you came, and that's why you've made this investment. Um, during the four years that uh, I was in Ambassador College, 1981 to 1985 in Pasadena, um, I had many opportunities to do many different things. Um, I was able to, I was, I was a big camp guy even back then, so I would love, I loved Orem, Minnesota and got up there every time I got a chance, every summer I could. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Australia for their SEP over there. I got a chance to go to South Africa for their SEP program there. 
and to Austria for a winter camp. They used to have a winter camp, 13 days, um, two Sabbaths there, uh, but we did 11 days of skiing in Austria and uh, taught downhill skiing uh, on that trip. But camp has just been kind of a theme for me, working with youth. When I graduated in 85, uh, I went to work at Imperial Schools in Pasadena. And so I always wanted to be, I knew from the time I was young, I want to be involved in the church youth program. And so that was always my goal. And so I trained and worked toward that goal. Um, even doing that, the door may not open, right? You don't know. Um, but I had an opportunity to, to do some neat things. My two, by the way, the last few years I worked at Ambassador College, I worked at Mr. Armstrong's house. Uh, my freshman year, I was a landscaper, and part of my duty was his yard. So I got to meet him a couple times my freshman year. But my junior and senior year, I was asked to go up and be a waiter in his home when he entertained guests. And so I got to meet different kings and queens. Uh, in fact, uh, one time I, I had two weeks off of school to drive Queen Syracuse around anywhere she wanted to go. She was staying out in Beverly Hills, and so I was the chauffeur for those two weeks. Um, I got a chance to work in the auditorium as the head usher in my senior year and work at Mr. Armstrong's head table and serve some people there. Uh, so I had some, some opportunities. I got to interact and get to know Mr. Armstrong, and I remember many times after we served dinner, uh, sitting in his room while he watched The Young Ambassadors. He just loved The Young Ambassador films, and we'd go in there, or he liked to play hearts. Uh, we would play cards, too. Uh, but I got to know him and respect him and see how God used him so powerfully, and I just felt, look, I need to be a part of the work. I love this. And so I stayed at Imperial. I coached. And I taught at Imperial Schools in Pasadena until they closed in um, the mid-90s. And it was an interesting time because the church was derailing in the 90s. And the last two years that I worked in Imperial Schools, I also went to the Global Church of God. And so when I, the first Sabbath, I decided I'm not staying in Worldwide any longer. I can't take this. Like, they're changing everything. This is becoming Protestant. And that's exactly what happened. Um, but the first Sabbath I went, I knew that people would talk and I would get called in, and, and I did. I got called in. Mr. Joseph Locke was the superintendent, and Bob Cote was the principal at Imperial. And they called me in. I remember I thought maybe I would get fired, uh, but they called me in and they said, look, you know, confidentially, we're proud of what you're doing, and we agree. We don't like these changes either. Uh, but we're not going anywhere yet. But if they change this, we're going to go. And I remember Mr. Locke told me specifically if the, what they changed, it was clean and unclean meats. And then they changed it, and he didn't leave. And then he said, if they change the Sabbath and they have any Sunday services, I'm going to go. And then they changed to Sunday, and he never left. Um, I, I did stay in contact with him for some time. But uh, the bottom line is it was a weird situation. So I was still the athletic director at Imperial Schools, and we never played a, a, a game on a Sabbath because I maintained that, look, we're still the Church of God. We have been playing competitively in the Southern California Interscholastic Federation for years, and they know we don't play on the Sabbath. And I, as long as I'm athletic director, we're not going to play on the Sabbath, and we never did. I remember meetings where everybody in the room, all the coaches, all the people on the PE department, Rose would raise their hand and say, look, we're for a Friday night game. And I said, that's okay that it's unanimous. We're still not doing it because I'm the athletic director. You can fire me and you guys can play Friday night, but if I'm running it, we won't. I stood my ground and they never never put a game on a, on a Sabbath. Uh, 
um, you will have opportunities in your life to do things just like that. God will put you in situations where you have to stand up for what you believe in. Um, but I enjoyed working at Imperial Schools when the church fell apart. Then what, right? I couldn't make good money in athletics anymore. I could make a living, but not a decent living. So I decided to move to Oklahoma where I had a, a college friend. And I got into construction, and I became a carpenter for five years. And um, five years after being a carpenter, I got a, a visit from actually your dad, Mr. McNair, uh, came out, Carl McNair came out and said, look, you want to work for the church? And I said, me? What? Well, yeah, we want to hire you in the ministry, and, and that's how that happened. So in 2002, I became a full-time uh, minister in the Church of God. And I've been doing that now for a few years. Never thought that would happen. I thought I would always be teaching and coaching, but life changes and sometimes throws you curveballs. The point is, I've been around in the church for a long time. I've seen a lot of people come and go, and I've seen a lot of bad things happen. I've seen some really great things happen. I look at my 49 years in the church of God as the best thing ever. And what I thought of today to talk to you about is something that I was thinking, what do I talk to you about? Like, what advice can I give you guys? Like, you're the church kids. You guys know uh, the truth. And so I thought, you know, the, I, I, I'm going to talk about something that my dad taught me. And my dad's not around anymore, but he constantly reviewed the point that I'm going to make in the assembly here today. And I mean, when I say constantly, like from the time I was little till the time I left for college and every time I came home from college or came to visit, he kept emphasizing this. And what he used to say is the main thing is to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, his greatest desire, and he made it abundantly clear to the family, was to see his children and grandchildren as part of the coming family of God. And everything he did pointed toward that goal. He wanted to see us make it into the kingdom. And I can tell you, I have four kids. You know my, most of you know my kids. And I tell them constantly, the most important thing I'm concerned about as far as your life goes is that you embrace God's way of life and that you make it into the kingdom of God so you can serve more people. It is what it's all about. It's why you were born. It's why God called you. Wise King Solomon summed it up right at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and you probably know what it says, right? In Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, and what was it? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. That's what it all sums up to be. Christ said it a little different way. In Matthew six thirty-three. Christ said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But it's the same thing. It is the most important thing I can teach my children is God's way of life. It's not science or math or English or any of that. It's a way of life. And, and that way of life is found in this book, the Bible. The most important thing you can do if you're a counselor at camp or if you one day get married and have kids is to 
teach God's way of life to your children, pass those values on to the kids that your accounts are over at camp, to pass these kind of values on even to people that you work with in the world. What kind of values? Well, you're dependable, right? You show up on time. You never steal. You're kind and friendly to other people. You're, you're promoting a way of life. You're being a light in a really dark world. It might be if you're in a college or university after this that you have to take a stand for what you believe and, and what you stand for. What, what are your values? You know, we all know the physical law of gravity, right? We all understand gravity. And gravity operates the same way all the time, right? If you get on the edge of a cliff and you jump, you're not going up, right? You're going down. It always works that way. If you throw a rock over a, a, a ledge, it's going down. It's not going to float there. Now, God can suspend those laws, and he sometimes does. But generally speaking, the law of gravity is a good thing. We're not floating off into space, right? Like It just works all the time. Sometimes when we're falling, we hope, we wish it didn't work that way, but, you know, we pay the consequence when we hit the ground, right? But gravity always works, and there are other laws that are absolutely just as sure as gravity. And those laws, if you adhere to those laws, will result in a happy and interesting and a fulfilling life. And those laws are found right here in the Bible. Now, Christ said in John 10.10, he said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Sometimes young people think, this isn't really the abundant life. Like, there's a lot of do's and don'ts, and I feel like I'm being held back. Um, I'm going to just tell you that you're not being held back, (laughs) that those do's and don'ts are all really good for you. You know, when God says, thou shalt not murder, right, that's really good for you. And it's good for me, it's good for my neighbor, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you're married, that's a really good rule, because now, you know, you're married to your husband or your wife, and God says, look, here's, here's a code to live by, here's some laws to live by. I made you, and I made these laws, and if you follow these laws, you will have peace in your life. You will be happy, things will go well for you. You know, God also revealed how we can become born-again members in God's universe ruling family, and and basically it comes right back to the main thing. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you would like to be a member of his family in the future, that's what you got to do. And this is pretty basic, and it's pretty simple, but it's easier said than done. And the world is getting really screwed up and really far from God. You know, I look in, in, in the scriptures and I, I read about Sodom and Gomorrah and see how perverted that society became, and God burned it to the ground. I think we passed the mark of Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't just embrace homosexuality. Now we change sex. We, we have this transgender thing going on. And I can tell you in the D.C. area, it is rampant, this problem. In fact, Casey was at work two days ago, and a guy made a pass on him. Actually asked him to come home to his apartment and have blankety-blank sex with him. I'm thinking, wow, it's amazing that these people are this bold and did it in public and in you know, the earshot of several other people. But how did we get to this point? How is the world this messed up? Of course, <laughs> I wish I could have seen his face, right? When it happened, he tells the story. He's like, oh, no, you got this wrong. And, and uh, he handled it well. Um, 
He didn't punch him or anything, so that was good. I said, good job, Casey. But this is the world we live in. I go to a, a Starbucks coffee to get Joetta coffee sometimes, and at least half the people that work there are homosexuals. Um, my daughter, uh, Abigail, since kindergarten has had same-sex parents in her classroom, you know, whenever they have an activity because they're raising a little boy or raising a little girl, it's two dads or two moms. Every year she's had them in her classroom. That's how it, it, the world has gone, especially the coast, right? This coast and, and, and California. You know, we have been given an understanding of the purpose for our existence. That's huge. You know why you were born. Mr. Uh, Meredith used to say, you know, call it our ultimate destiny. Mr. Armstrong called it our incredible human potential. It's the same thing. Your incredible human potential, your ultimate destiny is to be born into the family of God. God is all about family. The homosexual movement is all against family. If, if you're homosexual, you can't have kids. It's exactly opposite of what God says. But it's becoming embraced everywhere. Even our president's not taking a stand against that. Conservative people on radio, talk radio, Mark Levin, this week I saw had a, a guy on his show that's a homosexual that was progressive liberal that moved over to conservative, and he has a movement trying to bring more people over, more votes over here. But I thought, how interesting that nobody takes a stand on this. Nobody. And God says it's one of the main reasons our nation will go into captivity and come to its, be brought to its knees. So we have the Bible. The, the beautiful thing is, if we use this as our guide, we know what sin is. We know what righteousness is. We know what is right. We know what is wrong. We're not confused. The lines aren't blurred for us. This is our guide. Now, obviously, God doesn't hate the sinner. He's got a plan for every man, woman, child that ever lived, but he does hate the sin. You know, and, and by the way, the, uh, Hebrews 11 shows us that sin can be pleasurable for a time, right? If you're doing things you shouldn't do, and that could be any number of things, at the time you do it, it might be a whole lot of fun and bring a whole lot of pleasure. But the problem is, if you're doing something that God said don't do, and it's a sin, there's consequences that follow it, right? The curses always follow. And that's why... It says in Hebrews eleven twenty four, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, verse 25, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. They are passing, they are fleeting, and people in Hollywood, right, they're not happy. They do whatever they want to do. They, there's no laws, no bounds, right? They do whatever they want. People in all different lifestyles do whatever they want, but they're not happy. And, and the facts speak for themselves. When Mark Levin had this, uh, you know, homosexual on his show, the guy said, look, my, uh, in my community, you know, he's talking about that crowd, that community, he said, we have a super high rate of suicide and we have, you know, big problems with addictions, drugs, and other things. I'm like, well, yeah, that's, you see, you're, you're suffering consequences for sin. And you don't even know it. But you know it. I know it. We know the truth. We know what God says. And so we're not, you know, we're not going to get caught up in, in what the world's getting caught up in because we know, we know the difference. And yet the world, if you look at Isaiah 5, 
verses 20 and 21. Isaiah 5, 21, 20 and 21. God says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. That is exactly what the world does today. Okay, and again, I've used the example of the, the lifestyle, this transgender, you know, LGBT, and a bunch more letters now, whatever. Um, that lifestyle, okay, I can use that for an example because I started with that. But there are people in the world now that call what evil good and good evil when it comes to that issue. They're confused. They're taught that if you speak out against it, that's called hate speech. And yet God speaks out very strongly against it. And so we're in, we're in a time at the end of an age when you will have very challenging issues to face. And for you to do the right thing is going to take courage. For you to do the right thing might put you in a situation where you have to stand up and say what you believe in. Because God doesn't want us to just go along with this. He doesn't want us to go along with the world. And I, and well, let's take a whole host of other issues, right? Is there any area that's going to stay just like it is and move right into the kingdom? No, it's, it's all got to be reworked. The whole, the whole way we do things, society, politics, government, all of that, it's, got, it's all going to go. We got to start over, reset, hit the reset button and start over and do it right. It's interesting in Romans chapter 1, and I won't read the whole chapter. It's a good read. Uh, about the time of the end, but in, in beginning in verse 28 of Romans chapter 1, it says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. And then he mentions sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, boy, do we see that on the news, right? Haters of God, violent, we see violence throughout the movie industry, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents is on the list, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Man, this is a pretty long list. It says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. We cannot approve of this. And we cannot do it. We can't practice it. Or any of the other areas that the world is, is off track. And William Penn once said, right is right, even if everybody's against it, and wrong is wrong, even if everybody's for it. And you're going to find yourself more and more in situations where you're going to know right from wrong and, and you're going to be the only one in the room, the only one in the crowd that knows right from wrong or takes a stand for right and wrong. And, and again, you have to use wisdom in how you do it, but it's okay to speak up. It's okay to say something. It's okay to t teach your children this way of life and others this way of life. If we're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, we're going to have to take a stand. 
And, you know, it's not going to be a pleasant thing. I, I look at the New Testament church. You got these guys, right, Peter and Paul and, and all the other guys, and Christ picks them. The first four he picks are fishermen. You know, he's not got these. He's just picking regular guys to, to do a job and uh, training them. So he had an established ministry when he started his New Testament church there in Acts chapter 2. Uh, but these guys, with one exception, were put to death for what they believed in, and most of them fairly young. And several of them were married and had children. They didn't just go to prison. These guys died. John the Baptist, uh, Christ speaks very, high, very highly of. John the Baptist was dead uh, by 30, or at 30, right, right around 30, I should say, years of age. You know, no, none of us are being put to death quite yet, right? But that day could come. There is a place of protection for God's people, a place of safety. But the bottom line is, in, in the world, you're going to stand out more and more. You're going to be more like Lot or more like Noah before the flood or more like these guys in the new testament and i hope you're ready for it because it's not going to be easy and if we're not careful we're just like peter we'll deny christ we'll, we'll cower out we'll cave to the pressure but if we've got character we know what we believe and we believe what we believe and we stand for what we believe we'll be okay and even if god says look you have to be a martyr he's got a big plan for you in the future this is all temporary the older i get the more i realize that man life is short it flies by i mean i'm not pole vaulting and i'm not you know running fast anymore i used to not not anymore that's those days are gone and i think when you get old it's the humbling process right god made it that way but the bottom line is look you've got your life to live live it live it to the full one of the things that, that Christ said is, you know, when I come, come, will I find you so doing? Pursue your goals and interests. God's going to go, way to go. Look at you. You're right in the middle of that. You, you're moving forward. If, if Christ comes and you're in the midst of college, your four-year degree, or you're in the midst of your, your career, or you're in the midst of building a family, so be it. He found you so doing. You weren't over here sitting just waiting for Christ's return. Because I remember when I was a kid, they thought, 1975, Christ was coming back. I was thinking, man, I'm not going to be very old, right? I'm only going to be 12. I'm never going to have a family. Some of you may think that. Man, we're close to the end. I might never get married, never have a family. I'll tell you what, just think and plan ahead and move ahead with your life. And if it all gets cut short, it's best for all of us when that happens. But just keep moving, keep going forward. And in the midst of everything, whether it's your career, whether it's your family, whether it's whatever it is, God, keep him first. Remember the main thing. Don't lose sight of that. You're going to find people in the church that may offend you. They may say hurtful things in the church. People in the world will certainly do that. You've got, you've got to be hard to discourage you got to be tougher than that. You, you've got to say, look, I know the plan, and I'm going to be a part of that plan, and I'm going to serve people now, and I'm going to live the, the best righteous life I can now so that I can help others in the future. And maybe I can help some now too, right, in this life. 
but I'm, I'm looking forward to the kingdom. I'm looking forward to the great white throne judgment period. When God calls our relatives and our family and our friends that we've met throughout our lives and says, now, you know, now you can understand. I'm going to open your mind and open the books of the Bible to your understanding and also open the book of life so your name can be written in it. You know, it's critically important we understand the true intent and the purpose of the law of God. It is the very basis for Christian behavior, for Christianity. God says we're judged according to our works. Uh, judged according to the things written in the books, the books of the Bible. His laws, do we follow them or not? Are we overcoming and changing or not? You will fall short. I have many times in my life really screwed up things and had to repent of that and change it. It's going to happen. You're not perfect. You're a human being. I mean, Christ is the only one. He was like an oak tree. He never sinned, man. It was amazing. He stayed close to his father. He never sinned. But some of the great men and women of the Bible made some really big mistakes and had to repent of those things, turn their life around, and get back on track. They lost sight of the main thing for a little while. David did, certainly with Bathsheba, lost sight of that for a bit. And then God brought him back, right? And uh, if you don't have to learn the hard way, that's better, right? Don't learn the hard way. But we want to understand the, the, the true intent and purpose of the law and then try to live according to that to have the most abundant, happy lives possible. Now, in Matthew 5, okay, this will be the teaching part. Matthew 5, let's go over there. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Matthew 5, 17 through 19 says this, because Christ did not come to do away with the law of God as many professing Christians think he did. And you need to know that. You need to be able to prove that to people who ask. I just did a follow-up presentation, Tomorrow's World presentation. Mr. Ames was up uh, a week ago, and then I had the follow-up. And, and one of the, the big things that came up, uh, a lot of questions from people in the audience, was they felt the law of God had been done away and nailed to the cross. And so I had to answer that question like five times to, to people in the crowd as I milled around. And you will have to answer that question. So sometimes they'll turn to this verse, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Well, wait a minute. We can't ignore the first half of the, of the verse. But they say he fulfilled it. He did it. You don't have to do it. Christ did it for you. It's their argument. That's not the case at all with this verse. You know, we know that over 700 years prior to Christ's earthly ministry, we had a prophet. His name was Isaiah. And Isaiah, who was inspired by God, made a prophecy in Isaiah 42 and verse 21. And he prophesied that when Christ came, he would magnify the law and make it more honorable. And that's exactly a, a prophecy that was fulfilled by Christ. The, the Hebrew word that's used here, uh, the word in, in verse 17, but to fulfill, that, that word means to make great or cause to be great. In other words, a fitting de definition to the prophetic statement made by Isaiah would be he will extol, he will law, he will cause to, to be held in greater esteem or intensify maybe increase the significance of, I mean, it could easily be translated magnify. Uh, 
And Greek scholars acknowledge that fulfill means to fill to the full, uh, to bring to full expression, to bring out its fullest significance and meaning would be another way of saying it. And, and Jesus Christ did magnify the law. He began to talk about the spirit and the intent of the law. He said, don't, you know, the scriptures say you shall not kill, you shall not murder, right? But he said, you shouldn't even hate. Let, let me talk, let me magnify it. Let me explain even in more detail what the laws are all about. Now, sometimes when they read verse 18, they're confused because this, the word fulfill or fulfilled is used in verse 18 here in Matthew 5 as well. It says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, in the English, it's the same word, but in the Greek, two different words are used. The one in verse 18 means to take place or to come to pass. It's a different word. It means something very different. It's kind of like in the King James, the word hell in the, in the New Testament can mean one of three things. There's three different words used. You know, if the word for hell is Hades in the Greek, we know that means grave. So I had a lady came up to me after a presentation from Mrs., Mr. Ames, and she said, look, am I going to hell <laughs> if I keep Sunday instead of Saturday? I'm like, there's a whole bunch wrong with that question. I'm thinking, where do I start, right? I said, actually, it depends on what you mean by hell. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, if, if you mean Hades, the grave, yeah, you're going to hell. <laughs> and I said, because Christ went to hell. And she goes, what? I said, yeah, he was in a grave three days and three nights, and that's what the word means. Hades, a grave, a hole in the ground. Oh, oh, no, I mean the kind where you're tortured forever. Well, that's a false idea. There is no place like that. So, no, if that's what you mean, you're not going to be tortured forever, but... Now you know you should keep the Sabbath and not Sunday. You're accountable for what you know. Why would you still keep Sunday? And so then we had that discussion. But the bottom line is hell could mean any, any of, you know, three different things in the New Testament. And here this word fulfill is different in verse 18. Some say, oh, what about love? Doesn't love nullify or do away with the law of God and do away with the commandments? We see the Apostle John places a lot of weight on and importance on love but if you read everything John wrote he never said love superseded or destroyed the law in fact he said the opposite in 1 John 5 3 notice what John wrote 1 John 5 3 he says for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome so love far from superseding or nullifying the law, is the very heart and essence of the law. It's the spirit of the law. Love is a very important tool, and Christ used it to intensify, to magnify, to fulfill the law, and, and God is love, and we need to be like God. It's the way our character needs to become, and that's what we should work toward. And again, all of this ties into what? The main thing. The most important thing is to focus on, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Live the way of life that produces that. It will not only help you, it will help everybody around you. It will lift people up around you. You will become a person that has respect. You know, remember that nobody was ever honored for what they received. You're always honored for what you give or what you do. 
If you want to, if you want honor, you've got to serve people. You got to give. Love is outgoing concern, right, for other people. We love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We love other people. We serve other people. We have their best interest in mind. And if you want to to have honor, you have to you have to give. You have to serve. I remember uh, Albert Einstein once said that setting a right example is not the main means of influencing another person. He said it's the only means. Now, you can teach all you want, but if you don't live it, you don't practice it, it undermines everything that comes out of your mouth, right? You've got to practice what you preach. Live what you say. You guys come here, you've learned a lot, and, and you're going to continue to learn throughout your whole life. I learned a lot in Ambassador College. I, I hope that I've learned a lot more since Ambassador College, right? Because I've lived a lot more years, and hopefully I keep studying and keep learning and growing in, in understanding and in wisdom and pass that on to other people, and you have to do the exact same thing. The, the church that Christ built is going to be keeping the Ten Commandments. They always have, I'm sorry, that duck quacking is my phone, and I don't. it's over there somewhere. It's in the suitcase or briefcase, so... There's no ducks in here. That's just, my kids always change my ringtone, and now I'm a duck. So they, they have fun with that, you know. Abby will do it, and then I got, you know, I'm in a meeting or something. And I'm, oh, it's quacking, or it's doing something else stupid. I, I can't keep it where I want it. Like it changes all the time, and uh, they know how to use their devices, right? So if I don't, I ask Abby, "What do I do? How do I do this?" Um, <laughs> the world's changed, man. When I grew up, nobody had cell phones, right? If I go back to the farmhouse, we had a party line. You ever hear of what a party line was? Like, it's a phone on the wall, and it had a different ringtone. Like, it might ring too short and long, and, oh, that's ours. We pick it up. But then the little old ladies in the neighborhood would also pick it up and listen in real quietly. What's, what are they talking about, right? They could eavesdrop on conversations on the party line. And uh, that was their entertainment, right? Uh, I went to high school, and, and we had typing classes. Nobody had computers yet. It was typing, right? So I went to Ambassador College. The very first job I got after Ambassador College was teaching typing, believe it or not. Me, and I'm like, oh, I'm terrible typist, right, at the time. God, God was punishing me, I think. No, he was, <laughs> he was teaching me a lesson, and he knew I, I you know, I got to type 40 words a minute to graduate, right? And, um, and so anyway, I practice really hard and I, I finally got it but then I'm like okay got through the class I'm never going to do typing again and then then your only job to start with is teach typing so uh, I remember I would be in the lab and I'm trying to help people get better and then they'd all go home and I'd lock the door and I'd practice for for like an hour every night and pretty soon I got where I you know I could not look at the keys and actually type and uh, and now I have a computer and I can type a lot faster than I could on a, a, a typewriter but it was typewriters, and then we got this really cool typewriter called a Selectric 3 typewriter, and it would literally lift the letter back off the page. So you could type a letter, the ink would go on a page in this little white correcting tape. If you hit the letter again, it would hit the same letter and lift it off, and it was gone. It's like, man, I don't have to erase it or white it out. I mean, how archaic, right? Like the things we used to do. And then computers came in uh, after, actually after I graduated from college is when they, uh, from from uh, Ambassador College is when they really started coming on the scene. Um, none of us had cell phones. None of us had devices. And so, like, we weren't glued to anything because we didn't have anything. Like, it's worth the baseball or the hockey puck or the football or, you know, we were just, or it was time to work. We did a lot of work, too. 
but uh, it's a different world, right? It's, it's changed. Don't let those distractions take you away from the main thing either, is what I'm saying. Don't let the distractions pull you away from God, and you've got to use wisdom and, and balance in, in everything in life. But at the end of the day, we know that God says this very clearly in the scriptures. He says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life, right? This is what I want you to choose. And ultimately, the two paths, one goes to eternal life in the, in the family of God, and the other goes to a second death, a permanent extinction or cessation of life. Not an eternal punishing, but an eternal punishment, Right? That's it. It's like you chose that path or the other person chose that path or if I choose that path. You know, I look at myself. I've grown up in this. I know it. I teach it. If I turn my back on it and I go back to the world and I trample the sacrifice of Christ underfoot and I go right back to what I was doing, there remains no more sacrifice for sin for me. I know that. I can't fall away. I'm not going to. God God help me, right? I'm going to set my mind, keep this main thing in mind. Look forward to the future. And throughout the Bible, we see over and over and over and over again that people look toward the reward, right? That's how they got through hard things. They're like, look, this will end. There's a great reward at the end of the, the uh, life here for us. And we're going to be a part of that family of God. Uh, we're going to get there. And however we got to get there, whatever we got to do, let's keep our focus. Let's not lose sight of the, our priorities. And the number one thing always has to be God. I tell people when I counsel them for marriage and, and other ministers do the same thing. If you get your mate ahead of God, you're going to have marriage problems. God has to come before your mate and before your father and your mother and your brothers and your sisters and your best friends. God's number one, right? And then if you're married, your wife's number two. There's priorities, but God has to always come first. Love God, love your neighbor. It's pretty simple stuff, pretty basic stuff but those are the main things and you can never lose sight of that and you can't let people hurt you discourage you uh load you up with all kind of uh baggage that causes you to stumble or become bitter or to fall away from this and and you will have all of those things happen to you in life they happen to all of us and sometimes the longer you're in the church the harder the test gets because god knows you can take more he goes, look, you know, you're passing all the little tests, time to up the ante. We're going to make it a little tougher now, give you a bigger trial. And you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. When I had stage four cancer and they're telling me you don't have long to live, I told my sister, don't buy a plane ticket to come see me. I'm not going to die. I know I'm not going to die. God's going to heal me. And if he doesn't, well, he saw something I never saw. He had a bigger plan and I'm going to be okay with that. But you can't afford a ticket and don't come. I'm going to get through this. I'll see you when I get better, and we have a good chance to get together. Because I had faith that God would heal me. I knew he would. And I said, look, I've always honored my parents. I've always tried to respect them, and you promised me long life, and I'm holding you to it. And, uh, you know, did this massive surgery and took out body parts. Half uh, My wife says I'm half the man I used to be now. And, uh, you know, did all these things. But it was a trial at that point, probably the biggest test I had faced, right, in life. But I look back and I go, that wasn't that bad. There's harder trials coming. There's bigger tests coming. And and the ones that really matter is not so much physical uh, life and health. It's more the spiritual things. Those are the big things. 
Those are the things that lead to life. You got to die sometime, right? But you want to make sure when you die, you have God's spirit and that you're going to be in that resurrection to life. You know, the world around us is filled with strife. It's filled with poverty, ignorance, suffering, pain. Those are all results of living away a life that's opposite to what God says we ought to live. Now, I want to say one other thing, just to temper this, that you don't earn salvation by your works. I think you all understand that, right? Um, I'll just read two scriptures to make that abundantly clear. We can't earn it by, hey, I lived a righteous life. I've earned my way into the kingdom. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And so basically we would all, we're all on death row, right? Unless Christ died for us and unless he was willing to pay the death penalty in our stead, None of us make it because Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. And the wages of sin, the consequences of sin, is death. But the second half of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. It's, it's not earned. It's not deserved. And the author of the book of Ephesians makes that clear. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. None of us get to brag about it. We all cause Christ to have to die for us. And we all have to repent when we sin and claim that sacrifice. And and God's happy to forgive. He's merciful. He's quick to forgive. And we get back on the path and, and we keep on going down this path that leads to eternal life. So eternal life is clearly a gift, not something you can earn by keeping the law, but neither can anyone enter into eternal life as a sinner. That's why the Bible is chock full of this word called repent or repentance. No rebel is going to be born into God's family. God will not grant immortality to anyone who insists on living Satan's way or doing the wrong thing. He just won't. Otherwise, why make us human, right, in the first place? Why even have this plan? Just shortcut the whole thing, make us spirit beings. But God didn't want robots. He wanted us to choose it because of our own voluntary choice, choose it because we wanted to obey him, because we want to live this way of life, because we, we do have great awe and respect for him. You know, the time is coming very soon when the whole world will understand and appreciate what an incredible blessing the law of God really is. And people will follow God's law. And that's going to start when Christ returns and sets up the kingdom. And we enter the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. And we want to be there. These little gatherings like this, it's going to be, can you imagine like everybody in Charlotte is going to the church of God? You don't have to drive to church, like you know, walk down the street. Like all the churches are God's churches. These are all God's people. Christ is the king. The rulers over cities are spirit beings who really care about their cities and really care about the people living in the cities and want their city to be great. We lived in this little piece of property at Ambassador College, right? Just paradise, right? This gem. The planet will look like that. This will be the norm. Ambassador Auditorium, how many have seen it? How many have been in Ambassador Auditorium? (laughs) Just faculty and Rebecca, that's it? That's amazing. 
it is an absolutely amazing building that was dedicated to the great God. That kind of building, and, and you know, God bless that building. Uh, you know, I worked there. You had to know a lot about the building. Um, we had, I'm going to tell you about the building a little bit because you haven't been there. Because this is going to be like this in the millennium everywhere, right? These kind of buildings, these kind of things. So when this building was built, it was the only building in, in, in the world that had perfect acoustics in all seats. 1,350 seats in the auditorium, they tested every seat, had perfect acoustics. People have tried to recreate that and not been able to do it. Clearly, God blessed that. When we walk in the lobby, it has gold letters, right? They're gold-covered letters and a house dedicated to the great God. You have rose onyx behind that. The whole wall's rose onyx, if you, rose onyx. And if you look at the very top, there were some four green pieces of onyx, which you couldn't really tell because it's kind of a, you know, a beige uh, green color, and it was up high, but people who worked there knew. And that's because we ran out of rose onyx on the planet. They didn't have any more. You couldn't buy it. Now, they found more later, but they always left those green ones up there, right? But it was awesome. They had, you know, gold um, underneath all staircases. They had 24-karat gold leaf. Um, the acoustic clouds were covered in gold. Uh, rare exotic woods throughout the auditorium. You know, Mr. Armstrong wanted this to be the best because it was a house for God. The millennium's going to have those kind of things everywhere. And you'll be able to appreciate it. And now, if you're a spirit being... You're serving human beings if you're part of the family of God. But, you know, it's interesting that, that even spirit beings can enjoy some things because it's interesting that Christ is going to drink wine with us in the Father's kingdom, right? And that wine cheers God and man, the Bible tells us. God and man, wow. We see Christ once he was even a glorified spirit being uh, eating things, right? Honey and fish and other things. You'll be able to enjoy some of these things with the people that you serve, and these cities will be awesome, and God's law will be the norm. And then following the millennial reign of Christ, we have the great white throne judgment period where everybody that's never had an opportunity for salvation will come up in a big resurrection. We've got a thousand years to get ready for it, but a big resurrection will occur, and those people's minds will be opened to the truth, and the book of life will be open so their names can be written in it too. And they will have their first real chance for salvation. This wonderful, encouraging doctrine from God's word is not taught in churches anywhere on the planet, anywhere on this, on this earth except God's true church. You know it. Appreciate it. Value that. If you're coming to Williamsburg, we've got some sightseeing before the feast. One of the sites will be the Bible Museum. I've been in there a couple, three times already. But the Bible Museum is a fascinating place because they have all these different Bibles from, you know, like kings and queens and other people really decorated with precious metals. And like every page is a, art work, a work of art and um, et cetera, et cetera. But when you go through the museum, you note that Satan tried to suppress the truth that a lot of people who were translating the Bible got put to death for doing so. He didn't want the truth in the hands of people. But you know what? You guys all have Bibles. And that's a relatively new thing. For thousands of years of human history, there were scrolls and there were scribes who painstakingly, you know, 
copied those scrolls, but not, it wasn't the norm for everybody to have Bibles in their homes or the Word of God in their homes. And the New Testament wasn't even written yet right back, back then. But we have, most of us have several Bibles. I hope you read them. I hope you appreciate them and, and realize that a lot of people died in the process so that you can have it and you can read it. You can pull that thing out anytime you want and study it and know it and become educated in it. And I hope you, you treasure that. I hope you do it because you're going to be teaching it. You're going to have some great opportunities to pass this information along. And you know what? We're among the very few people in human history that have that, that kind of knowledge right here. And so what do you think God's going to have us do? Mr. Armstrong thought, and I think he's right. We're going to be part of the educational system. Like that's going to be a big part of what we do is educate people in the ways of God. Why? Because we practice it and we know it. And we know it works. So I hope that all of you take it seriously. Make sure you're, you know, that you are diligent to make your call and election sure. And really the best advice I could come up with, the best advice I could give you is to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Well, everybody, have a great day. I'll look forward to uh, hanging out here for a while. Um, who knows? I'll see maybe some of you at camp. Love to have you there. We always need a good workforce there. So if you can come, we'll see you there. Maybe see some of you at the feast. Um, but I'll be seeing you around. So thank you.